0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. Happy Easter to you. We're glad that you are with us. Um, This is Easter Sunday. Uh, This is the day in the church calendar when we particularly remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. This event in the history of the world is the central event to our entire faith. And so in one sense, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is the Sunday that we remember and we celebrate that the tomb is empty, that Christ is risen and he lives today and forever. Every Sunday we celebrate that. But today on this day, we, we give particular attention to it. and We do so by looking this morning at Luke chapter 24. This is uh, the gospel writer Luke's uh, articulation of the events that occurred on that first Easter morning thousands of years ago. And so if you have a Bible, please turn there to Luke chapter 24. You can follow along in your order of service. Beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we all know that most of the expectations that we have for the experiences that we will encounter, be it today or into the future, are Predicated, they are founded on previous experiences. We know this. What we have experienced in the past is actually informing what we expect to happen in the future. We know this with all sorts of different experiences that we encounter. And so knowing this, when Kat and I arrived at the airport a number of years ago to go see some friends of ours who invited us to come out west to visit them for a long weekend at their home, we knew what to expect. You know the drill, you show up at the airport, you go, you get your boarding pass, and you're going to wait. You're going to stand in lines for security, and you're going to go through metal detectors, and you're going to wait again at the at the gate and you're going to hear your number called and you'll sit in these terrible seats that aren't very comfortable and there's not lots of leg room with fake air and bad lights and and there's going to be little drinks and those terrible little plastic cups that, that maybe are not very good for you, I'm not sure, but they don't taste very good for you, right? And, and maybe if you're lucky, really lucky, you'll get a tiny little bag of stale peanuts, right? Like that's what we expect to happen when we go to the airport, isn't it? It's what we expect our flights to look like. They're not enjoyable experiences. They're simply ways of getting from point A to point B. This is what we expect. It's what we expect because this is what we've experienced in the past. See, what we experience informs what we're going to expect for the future. Now, The women, thousands of years ago, we we didn't experience what they experienced, but it's not hard to imagine what they would have expected that Easter morning, is it? Just a few days before, they had watched Jesus die. On the cross, they watched him give up his last breath. They watched his body removed from the cross and carried off to a tomb and placed behind a stone. They saw him wrapped and laid there. They watched what, they watched him die. And so we know what their expectations would have been that Sunday morning. I want you to think about their experience for a minute. He died late on Friday evening. In fact, they took him from the cross and the Sabbath had begun, and so they couldn't prepare the body. And so think about that Sabbath, that Saturday, as they thought about how the Messiah, the one that they thought was going to usher in God's kingdom, how he had died. Imagine that Sabbath. It wouldn't have been filled with worship and celebration, but surely sadness and grief, lament, That's what they would have been feeling that Saturday, that Sabbath. But then when Sunday morning came and the dawn arose as they headed off to the grave, they knew what they would see, a stone. They even wondered, in Mark's account of the gospel, they wondered to one another, how will we roll the stone away? And even if they could roll the stone away, they knew what they would find, a body, Maybe even it would already start to smell after the days it had been in the tomb. They would have been carrying spices with them to pour over the body. They knew exactly what to expect because they had seen dead bodies before and they knew that graves contained dead bodies. That was the abode of the dead. But what happens when your experience is very different than your expectation? What happens when what you expect to happen is the very opposite of what you experience. So Kat and I, after we arrived at the airport, our friends were very generous. They had actually purchased the tickets for us. They bought us these tickets to fly us out west. And so we went and we got our boarding passes and we're standing in this long line this long line to get through security, right? Carry on in tow. And to the right of us is this other line. It's separated by those expanding line maker thing. I don't know what they're called. But but they're there, and there's people walking by us. There's no line. And every once in a while, I see this couple usually dressed very nicely, and they're just kind of sauntering up right past the entire line. And I'm wondering how how do you get into that line? <laughs> like, what did those people have to pay to bypass this terrible line that we are in right now? That's what I'm wondering and thinking. And, and as I'm about to say this to Kat, I look at my boarding pass, and I notice something on it that I didn't notice before and something that I had never seen on a boarding pass before. There was a little note in the upper right-hand corner, and I looked at it, and I point out to Kat, and I, I say, I... I think we're in the wrong line. I think we're supposed to be in that line. And Kat looks at it and she goes, "I think you're right." And so we very tentatively, very nervously, get into this line, fearing that we just gave up our spot and we're going to have to go to the back. But, but nonetheless, we walk forward and we show the security guard our ticket. He looks at it and he waves us through. We didn't have to wait. It was amazing. This is going to be the best flight ever, right? We didn't have to wait through security. We go through. We're sitting at the gate now, and we're waiting for the lady to come on and say when we're ready to board, right? We know the drill. We know how this works, right? If you're military or if you have little children or if you need special needs, then then you'll be called first. So we're sitting there. She comes on the speaker, and she says, Section 1 or Section 2, it's time to board. And I look. We're in section one. This is incredible. We are the first people on the plane. It's not the children. It's not the military. It's not the people with special needs. We are, and not only that, we're seeing in the very front. We are in first class. Big plush chairs, lots of leg room, right? We have warm blankets. They actually gave us a drink in a glass. I didn't know that they could do that on a plane, but in a glass, (laughs) And instead of stale peanuts, we had warm cookies. I got to tell you, it was the greatest flight of my life. <laughs> it was wonderful, and it was nothing what we expected. When we showed up that morning at the airport, it was, it was the farthest thing from our minds that we would have this sort of a flight. We were expecting to be in the back, in coach, with everybody else. But our expectations were flipped on their head. And we experience something radically different. And that's what's happening to the women. They're showing up that morning to the tomb, and they're expecting one thing, but their experience is completely different. Their experience is actually the complete opposite of what they're expecting. You see, they're showing up at the tomb, expecting to find a stone at the mouth of the tomb, and they're expecting to find a body inside the grave, but when they arrive what do they find that the tomb is not the place of the dead but it's the place of life it's the place of life look they show up they look in they're perplexed it doesn't make sense and so the angels these men in glittering apparel they say in verse 5 why do you seek the living among the dead that's an amazing question but think think about the women for a second why do you seek the living among the dead what living right they saw jesus die i mean think about what's going through their mind we're not looking for the living we're looking for the dead the the tomb is the abode of the dead we saw him actually die we saw him buried we know that he is dead right i mean that's what they're expecting but y'all jesus isn't dead he's alive Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He has risen. He is alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus bodily was resurrected. Now this, this reality, this historical fact, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is what our entire faith is built upon. It's what our entire faith is built upon. Without it, what we are doing right now, this morning, is 100% completely and absolutely pointless. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then what we're doing is a waste of time. We should just pack up and go eat our lunch. That's not just me pontificating. That's scripture. That's the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has this entire chapter where he recounts the significance of the resurrection. And there he says things like this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Did you hear that? If the tomb isn't empty, if Jesus is dead... Then Christianity is a waste of time. Then what happened on that Friday was a good moral man died a very painful and pointless death. That if Jesus is still dead, then we are still in our sins and our trespasses. We are still dead. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians. Paul says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. If Jesus is not alive, then we are still dead. Our faith is futile. But y'all, the good news is this, the tomb is empty. There is not futility to our faith, but our faith is established on the resurrection of Christ. That the tomb is empty, and so we are not dead, but that we are alive. That just as Christ has risen from the dead, he he has defeated death and hell and the grave. That on the cross, he took our sins upon himself, and he died in our place. But the Bible also tells us that when he rose to new life, we rose with him. So that we are no longer dead, but we are alive. Because Christ lives, so too do we. That is the good news of Easter. That the tomb isn't the place of death. It's the place that shows that Jesus is alive. That he is risen from the dead. That we are no longer dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we are alive with Him. And so, if your trust, your hope this morning is in Christ, then the good news is your sins, they're forgiven. That because Christ lives, so do you. Y'all, that is worth celebrating. That is worth giving your life to. That is worth worshiping. That the tomb is empty. That your sins are forgiven. That you are alive. That the tomb is not the place of the dead, it is the place of life. But the tomb is also the place of honor. It's the place of honor. It's the place of honor because of of who it is that finds the tomb empty. You see, the people who found the tomb empty were often people who were ignored in this culture. It was women. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary Joanna and other women with them. They are the ones who came preparing, ready to prepare the body. They are the ones who came and found the tomb empty. Now, to us, that's not that big of a deal, right, that women would find the tomb empty. That's not that huge of an of a event. It's not that significant. But in this culture, in first-century century Palestinian culture, in Jewish culture, this would have been a huge deal because we know that women couldn't give testimony that they could have seen an event, they could recount all the details, but when it came to a court of law, a time to testify to the event, their word meant nothing. And Yet they're the ones who find the empty tomb. So I want you to think about this for a second. Because I imagine that there may be some of you who are sitting there thinking and wondering, you know, maybe Jesus, you know, I, I just don't know if I can buy this whole resurrection thing. I mean, I've never seen a a dead man rise again. So why should I expect that it would have happened thousands of years ago? Maybe this is just some sort of ploy, right? A fabricated story on behalf of the apostles in order to accumulate power for themselves as Jesus has died. And so there's a power vacuum. And so they're going to accumulate power for themselves by making up this resurrection story. Now listen, if, you, if you're not wondering that, I guarantee you that your neighbors are, or a co-worker, or maybe a member of your family. I mean, the dead have risen? All right, now, let's think about that for a second. If if the apostles and the disciples were savvy enough and smart enough to concoct, to fabricate such a story, don't you think they would have been smart enough to make sure that they were the ones who discovered the empty tomb? That they wouldn't have had women whose whose voice had been marginalized and who had been ignored, find the tomb. And it wasn't just that they were marginalized in society. They were ignored by their friends. Did you see what happened? When they come in verses 10 and 11, they come and they tell what had happened. And we hear it's Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and the other women with them. And in verse 11, they tell the apostles what they have seen, but these words seem to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Even their friends didn't believe them. This is crazy talk. Even their friends didn't believe them. They had been ignored and marginalized. And yet it was the women who discovered. It was the women who had been marginalized by society and ignored by their friends that are honored in discovering Jesus' empty tomb. If it was a concocted story, they are not the ones who show up. It's James and John and Peter. It's others who could have at least testified, but, but it's a truthful story. It's not one that's made up. Those who have been ignored are honored in discovering the empty tomb, but they're also honored in the fact that they're the first proclaimers of the resurrection. Did you notice that? It's not the apostles and disciples. In verse 9, They remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The first proclaimers that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the dead, are women. Those who had been ignored and cast aside, those who had been minimized and marginalized. The tomb is the place of honor, it's the place of life. But finally, it's the place of hope. It's the place of hope for the sinner seeing jesus's resurrection he is turning our expectations on their head the dead have found life the ignored have found honor and the sinful find hope no one believed the women when they told them of the empty tomb about the angels about the resurrection of jesus but look at verse 12 what happens but peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen claws by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened Peter, he heard this no one believed but he ran he had to see for himself and and you know in in one sense we shouldn't be surprised that it was peter who ran right i mean because what do we know about peter well peter was one of the close ones right like there were three that seemed to have this close relationship with jesus peter james and john and so, so Peter had this close relationship with him. But we also know that Peter was kind of impetuous, right? Like he said things without thinking, <laughs> right? He stuck his foot in his mouth repeatedly again and again and again, right? He constantly would run off and run ahead, right? He, he was this brash and this, this man full of bravado. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he goes running off to look at the tomb. But in another sense, it's actually quite shocking that it's Peter, Because, do you remember what he said just a few chapters before? We didn't read it, but if we were going through the Gospel of Luke, we would have come to chapter 22. And in chapter 22, Jesus says that he is going to go to his death. And that when he goes to his death, everyone will leave him and depart from him. But what does Peter say? He's so confident. He's so assured of himself, Jesus, even if I have to go to prison or even to my death, I will never deny you. I will be with you. I will follow you. Jesus said to him, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Until you deny three times that you know me. And Peter said, it'll never happen. I'll go with you. I'll walk with you. I'll follow you into death. But after Jesus was arrested, and when Peter was accused three times of knowing Jesus, of following him, what did he say? I do not know him. I am not a follower. I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crowed. And in Luke's account of the gospel, at the moment that the rooster crowed jesus looked across the courtyard and peter looked at jesus and their eyes met and it says that peter remembered what jesus had said and he remembered his denial and he wept bitterly all right think about that for a minute the shame the guilt How overwhelmed Peter would have been by his sin. He said he would never depart from Christ, and yet he denied him three times, even to a little girl. That's the last thing we hear about Peter until the empty tomb. We don't hear of him going to the cross. We don't hear of him celebrating. All we know is that he was left to weep bitterly. Can you imagine that, what, what it would have been like when his eye caught Jesus' kids? Kids, where is it that your eyes go when you confess your sin? When you have to come and you say that you're guilty to your parents, where do your eyes go? They go down, right? <laughs> you look at your shoes and the ground, and it's not just kids. We do it as adults, right? We, we can't bear the burden of looking into the eyes of someone we have hurt and someone we have pained. The shame and the guilt, it overwhelms us so that we don't want to look into their face and be reminded of it again. and that is exactly what Peter experienced. But when he heard the tomb was empty, he didn't retreat into his shame, and he didn't maul over his guilt. What did he do? He ran. He ran. He ran to the tomb and he looked inside because he knows that the tomb, the empty tomb, is the place of resurrection. And this place of resurrection is the place where sinners, even those who have denied Christ, is the place where sinners can have hope that their sins are forgiven. It's not just for hope, not just hope for sinners like Peter, but hope for sinners like me, and you. Friends, listen, I, I don't know all of your sins. And I don't know all of the burdens that you are bearing this morning. You, you might be coming in thinking, I have sinned way too much and pastor. If you only knew what I did, you wouldn't be saying that about me. I don't know all of your failures that you are carrying. And I don't know how overwhelmed you are by your guilt or full of shame. But let me tell you that the empty tomb isn't for people who come with perfection. Is for people who come knowing their guilt, burdened by their shame, knowing their failures and their sin. It is the place where people who come knowing their need can have that need removed, can have that burden laid aside, can have that shame replaced with hope. It's like the great hymn writer said, Come ye weary heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. Sinners. I don't know all of your sins, and I don't know all of your burdens, and I don't know all of your failures, but I do know this, that the resurrection tells us that there is hope. That there is hope that our sins have been forgiven. Do not tarry. Do not wait until you're better or you will never come at all. Come today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is when our sins and our burdens, our griefs and our cares, they can be wiped away. They can be replaced with forgiveness and grace. The empty tomb is the place of hope for sinners like Peter and like me and like you. It's the place of hope. Friends, I'm sad to say I've never flown first class again. (laughs) And I probably never will. That new one-time experience was that. It was one time. And even though I know I will probably never experience that again, I think about it every time I go to the airport. And every time I'm standing in line, and every time I walk in and I see those people drinking those drinks in glasses, (laughs) and eating their warm cookies. Every time I think about it, but it hasn't changed my expectation of what's to come. See, even though I look at my boarding pass, I look at it with futility, because I really have no expectation that it'll be any different than any other trip I have ever been on but one. My expectations of the future having changed. But this event, this event that the women experience, this event that we celebrate this morning, it's not simply an experience that we reminisce about every once in a while or once a year. It is an event that has changed the course of the world. It is an event, Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb that is the dawning of a new age. A new age in which all that is broken, and all that is sick, and all that is painful is slowly becoming untrue. That Christ has ushered into the world a new normal. Not just for the women that day, but, but for us. Jesus' resurrection in now shapes our every experience, our every expectation, because his resurrection tells us that God's kingdom has and it is coming kingdom, a new normal where the dead find life, where the ignored find honor, where the sinners find hope. Friends, this is the resurrection that we celebrate, and it has surpassed all of our expectations. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we do thank you that you have raised Christ from the dead, that the tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, that our sins are forgiven because Jesus lives and with him, so too do we. And so we celebrate and we worship. We praise you and honor you, our God and our King, the resurrected one who has come to forgive sinners, who has come to make all things new. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said together, amen. Friends, let us take up today's offering. I'll invite the ushers to come forward.